Welcome to You Are Here, the podcast where we have conversations with people who have courageously taken the road less traveled. I'm your host, Rachel Ree, and in each episode, we'll be exploring stories from people who have followed their own path and are living life on their own terms. Know that we're here to meet you where you are and where you'd like to be. This is You Are Here. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 22. Before jumping into today's guest intro, a little update on things going on in my world. So I am launching the first email newsletter for You Are Here starting this Monday. As you can probably tell, a lot of the stories and journeys that I'm sharing on the podcast are a lot of high achieving people, a lot of them in the corporate world, pivoting into other areas that are more aligned, fulfilling, creative, and just more joyful and authentic. And when you're venturing off into your own path like that, where you want to feel more aligned, you are likely thinking of two things. Well, you're likely thinking of many things, but these two things might be top of mind. How you are spending your energy and making more time for the areas of your life that matter to you when it comes to your well-being, and also how you are going to build a business and make money. So in this newsletter, it is Wellness Forward, where we are going to dive into business concepts and tips and how to integrate work and business into our lives, not the other way around where it's fitting life into work. The link to subscribe is in the show notes. Now, speaking of life and work, getting into today's guest, have you thought about what it might be like to just ditch your nine to five? It's weird, honestly, to even call it a nine to five because I think for a vast majority of people, it's likely nine to nine or even longer, who knows? Well, today's guest knows all about it because he was working in New York at Goldman Sachs, and you can imagine what that lifestyle might have been like. Tarek Kalusi knows all about it, and because he lived it, and because he had a few serendipitous experiences around that time, he decided to leave it all and go travel the world. He was actually in Colombia at the time of this recording and is just doing so much impactful work literally around the globe. He founded Nomads Giving Back and Nomads Skillshare, the leading global impact community for nomads, inspiring you to give back and learn the skills to live the life you imagined. Remember, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review as it really does help out and it means so much. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. Like I said, I'm so excited for you to share your journey because I know that your journey is a bit unconventional from most people. I know that obviously you're more within the nomad community now and definitely will talk about all the cool things that you're up to when it comes to that and all of your offerings. But I do know that you had a past living in New York kind of that New York hustle and grind. And I know that was a few years ago, but could you take us back to what life was like when you were living in New York and that was sort of your everyday? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and share a bit about my journey. Ah, So I used to be a suit and tie kind of guy. I was living in New York City. Right out of college, I went to business school and I thought I was going to take over the world. You know, I was so excited about starting my career in these big skyscrapers. I had my dream job at the time working for Arthur Anderson as a consultant, which serendipitously was the predecessor of your previous employer, Accenture. Yes. Yeah, I was 
loving it at first. And then two months after I moved to New York City, 9-11 happened. And that was a tragic day for so many people, including myself. It was a turning point in the world and also my personal life. Um, it ultimately led towards this demise, in a way, of the company I was working for that got caught up with the biggest corporate scandal. And I ended up losing my job. I mean, all of us did in that company. And I found myself unemployed post 9-11. And it was really hard to find a job. I went six months looking for a job unemployed. And it honestly put me in a depression. And I also had some other stuff going on with my family and personal lives. And where I look back and see the actual lesson in it is that I felt like I never wanted to be that vulnerable again. So when I actually got a job after a half a year, I decided that this was going to be my number one priority to prioritize my professional growth. And I did that, but I honestly did it to a fault. I ended up neglecting my personal well-being, my personal growth, and just wanted to climb that corporate ladder until eventually I woke up. That is such tragic timing with everything that went on, obviously, with 9-11. And I remember that day very well. So I can't even imagine being in New York and being at the sort of epicenter and ground zero of it all. So even just getting goosebumps thinking about that at that time. But you losing your job and being unemployed for six months. I think, you know, obviously it's different circumstances now, but I think a lot of people can relate to that since there are so many layoffs and a lot of just change within various industries. Thank you for being transparent about falling into a depression because I think that part of it doesn't necessarily get talked too much about when you do go through these life transitions is that it can be really depressing when you don't necessarily know what's on the other side of it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, actually, I get goosebumps when I think about that time too because I was supposed to go on my first business trip on 9-11 to fly oh. out from the same airport in Boston that the two of the planes were hijacked from. So yeah, wow. it really hit all the crazy timing of everything. But like I said, in hindsight, you know, there's always lessons to be learned in the most challenging experiences, especially. And it did serve me well in the sense of really giving me that drive that I needed at that time. But you know that saying, sometimes the pendulum swings too far. So mm -hmm. I was too paranoid of being vulnerable and wanted to be so independent, especially financially that for the next dozen years, I just busted my ass. And eventually I started getting to my personal growth. And I realized this concept called the hedonic treadmill, which is basically mm -hmm. when you get something that you want, you feel good for a moment, but then that becomes the level set expectation. So every time I got a raise, promotion, new job, I was super excited for months. And then all of a sudden I realized, why am I not happy still? Where's the sustainable happiness? And then eventually I realized that I was swimming upstream because I wasn't living the life that I think that I was meant to live. Mm, yeah, it's the constantly changing goalpost of what's the new thing? What's the next thing? I can completely relate to that. Just to give more context for people. So this new job that you ended up finding where you were just really grinding it out. What was this job? What were you doing? What was that day-to-day -day like? When were you going into the office? How many hours of work were you working a week? Explain what that lifestyle was like. Yeah, sure. So I had about almost a year with that first job. And then, like I said, I went unemployed for a while. The next job I got was with Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. 
And I was there for about four years and I worked really hard. Was it necessarily a demanding job, but I wanted to advance my career. So I was doing lots of overtime, working on weekends. And then I decided that to go for my MBA at NYU part-time during the evenings and, and weekends. And because I was so driven, I look back and I laugh at this, but I decided to do it at a full-time pace while working full-time. So when my friends were going to like the beach in the summer for the weekends, I'd be spending all day in class. And I also wanted to get as the best grades I could. So I ended up graduating with honors. And during the end of that time, I got a job with Goldman Sachs, which was a whole other level of intensity. Those of the listeners that might not be familiar with Goldman Sachs, it's like this very intense investment bank where they work nonstop. I mean, all the time. And I loved it because it was like, it gave me a lot of respect and more money than I needed. And eventually I, I saw myself picking up some bad habits from the stress, you know, like I was smoking cigarettes, drinking too much. And because every time I wasn't working, I wanted to like escape. And sometimes you have to go through something, you know, you, go, you grow through what you go through. And that definitely gave me some lessons about having more balanced life. So was it because you were just reaching burnout and your maximum capacity that all of a sudden you were like, okay, got to get off of this hedonic treadmill? Or was it something else very specific? Like what led you to your breaking point to want to actually pivot and change your direction? Yeah, that's a good question. So absolutely. Part of it was the constant proximity to burnout stage. But I, I also think that I wasn't living a life aligned with what I truly care about. And I felt like I was swimming upstream. I mean, energies are contagious, right? And so when you surround yourself with people, whether they're inspiring and, and good for you or whether they're holding you back, that's going to happen regardless. And a fish doesn't know it's in the fish tank, right? It, it doesn't know it's in the water. So I started to use my vacations to get as far as I possibly could not just geographically, but socioeconomically, culturally. I started doing some volunteer projects during my vacations. And that started to give me like a lot of awareness that was lacking in my life, especially in that high caliber corporate life where money is a whole different situation compared to places in the developing world in the global south. And I have four reasons why I decided to leave it all behind. The first one is a sad one. About 10 years ago, when I was about 33, 34 years old, a cousin of mine died suddenly. And he was the first person that had ever died in my life, you know, especially someone close to my age. And it really hit home. I mean, we all know conceptually we're going to die. But until I think someone goes through someone, a loss that's near to them, it doesn't feel as real. And for me, it was a real wake up call. What am I doing with my life? You know, am I actually making the most of what I want to truly do with it? And the second thing that happened was around the same time, I was living in New York City and Hurricane Sandy hit. And it was pretty tragic in the sense that hundreds of people died. And the parent of New York City in the village where I lived, we had no power for four days. In a big bustling city like Manhattan, you know, New York City, 
when there's no power, it felt like Armageddon, especially for days. It was so happy that I was supposed to run my first marathon ever that same weekend. And it unexpectedly got canceled for the first time in its history. So in lieu of the marathon, some of the runners and I we went and volunteered to Staten Island where the biggest hit of the storm happened, where there were a lot of victims. And I remember very vividly helping this family clear their house. They were stuck in their second floor attic for two days with no connection and they didn't know what was going on and their entire house was flooded. So we cleared the house. They shared the story about how two little boys, their neighbors died in their backyard, drowned. And again, this was like a wake-up call. Anything can happen at any time, whether it's a loss of a loved one, whether it's a storm or some natural disaster. And it would so happen that because I was already trained for the marathon, something that I thought I would never be able to do because before that I was smoking, overweight, just not eating healthy. And I was slowly getting back into my wellness from when I was a teenager. And it was so happy that the next marathon I could find since I was trained was in Philadelphia two weeks later. And Philly is the city of my birth. And it was very poetic in the sense that I ran it, I made it to the finish line, and it felt like a rebirth. And I literally ran by the hospital that I entered this world in. So for me, that lesson of the marathon, the first one was, I did something that I thought was impossible. So maybe I could do the impossible in other parts of my life too. And the fourth thing that happened, all around the same time, these all happened in 2013. I was walking home from my gym one day to my flat, and I saw this woman moving her boxes across the street on a trolley and they started to fall over and tip over. So I ran up to her and I asked, can I give you a hand? And she said, yes, please, thank you. So I talked to this woman for like 10 minutes and in those 10 minutes, she changed my life. I asked her, so what are you doing? She said, well, I used to work here in the corporate world for a dozen years, just like me. And I felt like I needed a big change. So I took a sabbatical to go after a big life dream of mine. And I asked her, what's that? And she said, I wanted to see the world. So I set a goal to explore a hundred countries. And my mind was blown. And so I said, that's amazing. So now that you're done with that, you're moving your boxes back to your New York City and you're about to go back to the global world. And she said, no, I actually just came home to pack up to ship them to my parents' home because I'm going to go abroad again and go after my second life dream. I asked her, what's that? And she said, I want to create a social enterprise. I want to help less privileged women around the world learn some new skills to gain a better income so they have more freedom for themselves and their family. And again, my mind was blown. I was like, who is this woman just like me living my dream life? And it's these everyday heroes, not the celebrities, that really inspire me because they're so much more relatable. So those were the four things that all around the same time were the catalysts for my big life change. It was my cousin's sudden death, the storm, running my first marathon, and meeting this woman that was so inspiring to me. Wow, that is so inspiring. And the fact that also these things happened at the same time or around the same time, there's something in the energy or something that was becoming more clear to you in your path in terms of where you needed to be. And that was something that was maybe more aligned. What I found really interesting is when you were talking about the storm and, you know, wanting to help people, 
And this woman that you see, it's very much rooted in wanting to help people. There is a connection there. What was it that you just felt like you had this calling to want to create something that was impactful for other people? Yeah, absolutely. So after those four things happened, I thought these were signs from the universe, but I didn't even believe in that stuff back then. So it's kind of funny that Mm -hmm. when I look back, so it gave me the courage and the inspiration to buy a one-way ticket and take a leap into the unknown. Everyone thought I lost my mind, quitting this good job with good money and respect and everything. And to be honest with you, they were right. I did lose my mind. I was making a hard decision. And I just started traveling and going after some of my dreams. Like I started volunteering. I did a four-month volunteer consulting project in Kenya. I did some consulting for social enterprises in Sri Lanka and some Habitat for Humanity builds in like Zambia and China. I just really never felt more alive than in those moments. And it wasn't just connecting with the local communities, which was so powerful. It was also connecting with foreigners that were very different from the environment I came from, the New York City, high-flying life. And I felt like I had to unlearn some things, conditioning that I had, and trust the intuition and Sometimes it felt like I was a plastic bag in the wind. I would just kind of like see what next opportunity came my way, what serendipity mm-hmm. to follow. And it was very liberating to do that. And so I, I kind of nomaded and traveled and backpacked for years. And eventually I found myself gravitating towards these so-called nomad hubs, like these digital nomads that are working remotely as they travel. And I fell in love with this community because it, really resonated with me, these people that were leaving the conventional life behind, facing their fears, chasing down their dreams. And, you know, I knew I wanted to get into impact. So I'd ask these people, these nomads, like, how are you connecting with locals? And how are you giving back to the communities? And most of the time, they'd say the same thing. I don't know. But if you figure it out, let me know, because I want to do the same thing. So when I heard that enough times, I recognized there's this gap, this opportunity to try to mobilize the collective power of the nomad movement. Large companies like Goldman Sachs, where I worked, they had a CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Division, where if an employee wanted to volunteer or fundraise or donate or do something good, they had a team that had resources and relationships with social causes. But these digital nomads, expats, remote workers, They're a collection of individuals. There's no organization behind it, no structure, no leadership, especially when it comes to like impact. So I decided to create an organization to solve that problem when when these people want to give back and they don't know how. So that was the beginning of launching Nomads Giving Back. That's amazing. You mentioned how before you went on this nomadic journey around the world that your close friends and people in your circle thought that you were crazy because you were doing something that was so 180. I'm really curious what that was like from a family upbringing perspective, because I know that you are Egyptian. I'm not as familiar with that culture, but just speaking as an Asian American, someone who's Korean, I grew up in a very traditional, conservative, you value stability type of Household or upbringing, where if you can find stability, then that's the path that you're on and that's your path forever. But I'm curious what that was like for you growing up and what your family response was. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, that really resonates with me. I think it's pretty common among first generation kids that come from other countries, especially especially ones where I'm not sure familiar with your background, but so many of us, our parents work so hard to create that better life and go after yeah. the American dream and create that opportunity. So yeah, absolutely. From my family to my friends to my colleagues, there was a lot of doubt. What I realized is that they were projecting. I think most of the time it came from a place of love. They see the world in a certain way. They see life in a certain way and they want the best for you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it is the best for you. Right. I think that's the beauty of life is that we have this individual journey and it's up to us to decide when are we doing things because of social norms and conditioning and expectations placed on us versus what do we truly want, like our inner self or higher self? And how much is fear playing into these decisions? Because Absolutely. I mean, it has been a journey where I've been tested. In fact, I was tested. I did that when I left the US and I went on that journey and volunteered and did all these adventures. I did that for one year. I felt called to go back to the US for a month because three of my college friends were all getting married at the same time. And this is a fun memory I haven't thought about in a while. So I went back to the States for that wedding, for those three weddings. I didn't want to go, but I felt, I felt a sense of duty. So I arrived at JFK airport before I even got off the plane. I checked my phone when I got reception and saw a message from an old colleague of mine that said, Tarek, I don't know where the hell in the world you are right now, but I saw this job opportunity. It looks perfect for you. And I'm looking at it like on the plane at JFK and it was literally like written for me. It was so aligned with my past experience, not where mm-hmm. I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But I was unclear about where I was going and what I was doing. And I knew it was going to be around for a month. When I left, everyone said I, I was committing corporate suicide, big gap in the resume and all that. And so I said, well, I have a month. Let me apply and see what happens because everyone said I committed corporate suicide. This job is even better than the one I left. If I had this amazing year and I come back right where I was, what do I have to lose? So I applied and I got it. And I took it and within days, like a few days, I realized I made a big mistake. I went from like having the most meaningful, life-fulfilling, exciting adventure in Kenya, helping some of the least privileged people in the world to now helping the most privileged people in the world, millionaires and billionaires. And the contrast was unbelievable. I mean, from the lowest zero 0.001% 0.001% to the highest 0.001%. And I knew pretty soon that I made a mistake and I gave it a year and I decided to do my New York City bucket list and just make the most of it and save up more money so that way I could play it go a lot further on my backpacking life. I love that. And I love that you were very transparent with the fact that, okay, you kind of toyed with the idea of going back to this other life because, oh, maybe that was meant for me. You know, it seemed to align with your skills and whatnot. But then you realize like, no, okay, the other path was the right path. Exactly. So you're spot on. So this time I knew what was on the other side. I knew what I was missing. So that's why it's, you know, it's always good in life to try to step outside your comfort zone and try different things because rather than making life choices based on assumptions, get a taste of it. 
And then that way, you know what's there. Yeah. And you mentioned something around the finances and you wanted to save enough so that you could go on your more nomadic, adventurous life. But I think that finance part, it's so logical and tactical, but it is a huge part of why sometimes people don't take risks in their life or they don't choose a different path because they feel it's kind of like golden handcuffs of having something stable, paycheck every two weeks. Do you have any tips or insights in terms of how people could start to set themselves up for a different path in life, especially when it comes to conquering those fears that people might have around money and the logistics of it all? Yeah, sure. So number one, because of that story I shared with you earlier about feeling so vulnerable early in my career, I ended up becoming really focused on saving and investing. And I wasn't even sure why. Maybe I thought, okay, one day I want to provide for this future hypothetical family, saving for my future hypothetical kids' education, saving for some big house or property. But I didn't know what it was for, but I just started building this nest egg and it continued to grow. And at some point, I realized that I shouldn't be living for the hypothetical as much as the actual. What do I want to live like now? I do believe that it's important, this principle of delayed gratification, invest in yourself, invest in these things so that you can reap the benefits later. But I do think that I and some people I know go too far with that because life is now and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's the beauty of life is it's uncertain. If everything was so predictable, we wouldn't enjoy it. Everything would be factored in. And at the same time, there's this concept in economics about utility. Where are you investing your money? Where are you spending your money, for example? Is it getting you the value, the usage that you really want? And I know that it's very tempting to spend the money that we make, but wonder if you could try to quantify what are the dreams? How much does it cost to go after these dreams? How much does it cost you to take a lesser paid job that's way more meaningful for you? and actually do the math analytically, and then make the decision with your heart intuitively, what will serve you best overall? And for me, deciding to break open that nest egg and actually going after my life dreams was was a really, really hard decision, but it was uh, a necessary one for me. Yeah. And the thing about dreams too, is that I think that you were very maybe not 100% clear in terms of, okay, this was the exact vision or the exact goal that I'm building towards. But the dream was you wanted to be of service to other people that were not as fortunate. You wanted to help set them up with a supportive system in place and whatever that looked like for those people. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people maybe just have like little inklings of things that they might want to do or they might want to explore. So could you talk a little bit more in terms of like, how did you start to then crystallize this idea into now what you have as a business? Yeah, sure. So it was a process. It was a process. Do you remember that that story I told you about the woman I bumped into in the streets of New York who inspired me? So when I said she was living my dream life, she really, really was. And I decided to adopt her big dreams as my own. So I knew that when I was traveling the world, it really gave me inspiration. So I decided to explore a hundred countries to fuel my soul. And I dreamt about creating a social enterprise. So I decided to set that goal to expand my mind as well as my heart. 
And this one was my own, but for the marathons, for my body, I decided to set a big goal of running 25 marathons. And I wanted to do all those three goals before turning 40 years old. And so that's what I spent the last few years of my 30s doing. And I set those big goals because I didn't want to lose sight of them. As shy as I was at the time, I decided to state those publicly on social media and not to brag or anything, but to actually like set the vision. And I believe you should tell the world and tell the universe what you want. And then everything kind of conspires to support that. So one of the marathons I did was for this cause called the Bali Hope Ultra. It was Bali's first ultra marathon, 84 kilometers or 52 miles. It's like a double marathon from top to bottom of Bali, all for the purpose of raising funds for children's education. And it was during that very special journey, very special memory of mine that I got the conception of the idea for Nomads Giving Back came to me because there was just 13 of us. And we raised $100,000 to put 100 kids through school. And I was thinking to myself at the time, if there's some inspiration, a vision, some structure around it, even a small group of people can make a massive change on people's lives. And because I was, like I said, spending so much time with these nomads and these expat hubs, and I realized that so many people are so grateful for the experience to live in these communities. And they say they want to do something to get back, but they just don't know how. And so the idea was conceived during that experience of saying, you know what, why don't I try to organize us in a way that everyone benefits? The local communities can benefit from our skills and our greater awareness. We benefit as well from having deeper relationships with local communities and also having more meaning in our lives from the privilege that we have. So you talked about how you had all of these dreams, uh, you had to hit certain goals by the time you were 40. Now that you're past that, do you have other goals and another vision in mind before you hit 50? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm one of those guys that likes to set goals. Well, to be a little vulnerable and open with you, I hung up my running shoes when I started No Man's Giving Back, when I turned 40, because that was my main focus. And Believe it or not, even though it was way more, it has been way more aligned with who I am and my values, I felt back into that New York City mindset a bit where I became obsessed with making this work, make it sustainable, making it more impactful. So I prioritized it above my well-being <laughs> and I neglected my wellness as much as I should have. I mean, not, not nearly as bad as my New York days. I should be fair to myself, but. Just in the last week, I decided to go after my first marathon in six years since those days. So I've been training hard for it the last month. And so that's one goal is to get back into marathon shape. Another big goal is to continue focusing on Nomad's Giving Back. And we also have Nomad Skillshare. It has been the most beautiful thing that I've been a part of, but it's also been the most challenging thing. And so I'm trying to find creative ways to make it more sustainable so we can have a bigger impact and continue to grow. And also, I have this newfound passions for holding space in personal development. So I now lead breathwork journeys and men's circles and small retreats, learning some sound healing, and I started mentoring recently. So this field of personal development, I'm really loving 
the opportunity to connect deeply with, with people and support them on not just achieving their goals, but when appropriate to help them with their healing and help them with their struggles. Yeah, that's really powerful work that you're doing because so many people don't spend the time to actually look in the mirror at themselves to really heal their inner child, to see how or where they need to grow, or really just to hold compassion and space for themselves. So those healing circles and men's circles specifically, I find would be so impactful because we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but I think that for women, we're starting to see a lot more of these communities and support groups, and there's a very strong female empowerment type of energy that's out there. So if you're looking for that, you can find it. But when it comes to men's circles and men's healing and men talking about personal growth and their inner fears and vulnerabilities, it doesn't seem as it's quite as prevalent. Do you find that to be true? And what has your experience been like working with men? Absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're both raised in the States, but it's not just a, a States thing. I think it's worldwide where men are conditioned to pull back their feelings, especially big boys don't cry kind of mentality. Or even when I was living in New York in my 20s and early 30s, when I would hang out with my, my friends, my guys, we ended up basically going to a sports bar and watching football and drinking beer. I mean, one anecdote that kind of really illustrates this point is I had a roommate for several years in New York City, several years. And one day I found out accidentally through a mutual friend that his mother died and he never told me until I wow. asked him about it. So that's just one example, but this is the way it is. And just a couple hours ago, I was facilitating a men's circle and one of the men who joined, he joined for the first time our circle like a month ago, first time he ever did anything like this. And mm -hmm. his, his mind was blown that there's these other men that are comfortable sharing and expressing their feelings and wanting him to also open up. The things that people are opening up about are unbelievable. Things that they wouldn't tell their so-called best friends, but they feel safe in this kind of group because it's this container that we help we hold. And the results are life-changing. I've been on a healing and growth journey for several years now of going to retreats and learning different modalities and learning about meditation. And every modality has a role to play. But I do think that it's an evolution. I like to think of our, the growth as not this linear line. Healing and personal growth is not one straight line up. It's more like a spiral. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm yeah. going in circles. But if you take a big step back, you're actually expanding each time in the process. Yeah, absolutely. It's the zooming out. But that's the hard part because I think that when you're healing and when you're struggling or in pain, everything looks so zoomed in to that one problem area. Exactly. Through your studies and breathwork and healing and all of these things, what modalities do you lean more towards and why do you enjoy those? Yeah. Well, I am fascinated with breathwork. I just went to a, a session last night by a friend and it's so wild. And maybe some of your listeners might not know what breathwork is. It's, it's basically just intentional conscious breathing. And when it's led by a facilitator, that person can really encourage you to go deeper and deeper. And honestly, some people say it feels like you're on a drop. There's a joke that people say, getting higher in your own supply. Because mm. all it is is actually connecting within 
it doesn't just help the body. You know, a lot of us aren't breathing properly, but it can really help clear the mind, help you connect with your inner self, be very inspiring. Actually, the idea for Nomad Skillshare, which is an extension of Nomad Skillshare, it came to me in a breathwork journey. And the moment I finished, I ran to my computer and I started building a business plan. At the same time, sometimes it can be very cathartic and people will release pent-up emotions that aren't serving them well. So breathwork's definitely one. I love them all. I love sound healing, learning crystal bowls I've been doing in these journeys, meditation. We have a mutual friend that I met at a meditation retreat by Joe Dispenza. That was super powerful. So I, I love the things that where you can go with it. But I also think sharing with other people. And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like we all crave connection and we crave meaning. Mm-hmm. And connection is exponentially more valuable when it's someone who is aligned with your ideal values, your ideal path. And there's been people who have changed my life through inspiring me, like Chrissy. <laughs> Maybe this is a good segue into Nomad Skillshare because I know that you had mentioned that you do certain workshops and there was someone leading something about Ayurveda, I believe. And so there's all these different things that you're learning. Could you share a little bit more about that and what people can actually learn or how they can grow within that community? Sure, yeah. So when we launched Nomad's Giving Back five years ago, we were really after trying to inspire people to give back to local communities. And we were more of an advocate for other causes. We have our free volunteer matching program, for example, where someone wants to volunteer and we can match them with a trusted partner. Along the way, when the pandemic hit, our team got together and we said like, oh my God, well, there's no more nomading anymore. There's no more events that we can do for a while anyway. And we said, well, we want to have more of a direct impact. And how could these so-called digital nomads have a bigger impact on local communities? And so many of us have these skills that empower us to work remotely. So we decided to launch a whole new initiative called Nomad Skillshare. It's been three years now, where it's all about empowering you to learn the skills, to live the life you imagined. How do we do this? We do this through online courses, through master classes, through masterminds, where we help with people, we help people solve their problems and their challenges with peer to peer mentoring connections events, because like I said, we all crave connection. And a lot of these nomads are going to a new place where they don't know anyone, or they really want to be locals, but they don't know how. So with Nomads Giving Back and Nomad Skillshare, our team, we now have over 100 volunteers and ambassadors with seven hubs around the world. And it's been a real beautiful community. So blessed with an amazing team behind this that have become like family. And a lot of them are hiring each other for side jobs, interviewing each other on their podcasts like we are right now. And it's been great to create something where the people who share the values I believe in are coming to this organization. So one of my tips for people is if you really are trying to look to meet people who inspire you or who you want to connect well with, who resonate with you, create something, create an event wherever you go on a topic that resonates with you and more likely the people who come are going to resonate with you as well. Was that one of the hurdles that you had when you were starting this more nomadic journey of just having that connection? And is that one of the roots of why you wanted to create this? Exactly. I want to bring in one more uh, synchronicity to answer your question. So in the beginning, I was way more introverted and shy about putting myself out there. 
But the backpacking nomad journey really helped me like be more comfortable in my skin and like step out of my comfort zone. And so I would gravitate towards these places that had the beginning of the community. And one of them was in Bali, that is one of my home away from homes. I usually based myself in Bali and Medellin, Colombia, where I am now over the last several years. But when I first stumbled upon Bali in 2016 or 2013, but then again in 2016, I found this co-working hub. And this is before the pandemic. Co-working hubs and nomads were, are way, way more prevalent now, but back then there wasn't too much going on. That woman I met in the streets of New York who changed my life, we never stayed in touch. I sent her an email that day. I said to her, hey, Chrissy, so amazing meeting you. You really inspired me. I really hope our paths cross again one day. And luck would have it that one day in Bali, four years later, I bumped into her. Oh my gosh. And I went up to her and I was like, Chrissy, Chrissy, you changed my life. I took your two life dreams and made them my own. And she was like, who are you? <laughs> and then I had to remind her who I was. But you know, I actually love that part of the story because yeah. to her, I was just some guy she met for 10 minutes who gave her a hand. Yeah. To me, she was an inspirational future version of me. And she didn't give some inspirational Tony Robbins talk to me. She was just sharing her journey. And I think that's the most beautiful thing that people can do is just living their best life, living their inspiring, yeah. authentic truth. And that's how you change the world, just by living your truth. And you, don't, you never know who you're inspiring. Like there could be one listener to this podcast who you're changing their lives. They might take it, they might make one decision at least another decision, at least another decision. And it doesn't matter whether you know about it or not. You're just living right. your truth and speaking your wisdom. Yeah, no, that is so true. And it's so powerful because you really don't know who you're going to be impacting just by sharing a story, just by having small talk, honestly, with someone at the corner store. You just don't know the impact that you're making on someone. So that's a really nice life insight. Since you've been all over the world at this point, what is maybe a cultural or just mindset difference with people that are in the U.S. versus not? Because in the U.S., you know, as we were talking about work and the hustle and the culture, that's very much primary and top of mind for a lot of people. It's how a lot of our systems are structured of just working nonstop. But is it like that outside of the U.S. as you're stationary in certain places? Or are you noticing any other type of differences in mindset there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can answer that in two different categories. One would be like in the professional setting. I'll start with that. Because I was groomed New York City corporate capitalism environment, Working and, and building projects in, say, like Asia, primarily I was doing work in Bali, but then also in like Kenya and, and Sri Lanka. One of the things I learned that's so different is how vocal people are about their needs, about their accomplishments. In New York City, in the US, we say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And in a couple of Asian countries, it's the complete opposite proverbs. One of them is the nail that sticks out gets hammered back in. Mm. And another one goes, the duck that quacks the loudest gets shot. So imagine the conditioning we have in these cultures that are so different from each other, but you have now 
now more than ever, these cross-cultural collaborations and colleagues. So I had to really, when I was working with people in India, in, in Bali, really sort of create more space for them to be seen and to be heard and reframe my assumptions on how to actually get to a better understanding to the best outcome. But more so, like to take your question on a more personal level, one of the reasons why I gravitate to places like Bali and Colombia is that in the US, in New York, especially, it's a very, people are more in the mind and it's a much more individualistic culture. And I'm not saying that with judgment, it's just an observation. But in places like Bali and Colombia and many other places in the world, they value a lot more about the collective, about community, yeah. much more focused on family. Again, these are just generalizations, but on the right. average person. So like when I'm here in Colombia, it's so interesting to see how heart-centered everyone is. And I love that because of, I am rooted in the US. It's nice to be offset and help myself connect more with now I believe is more important in life is, is community, is family, is the heart. Yeah, it sounds like it's just so much more freeing because in the U.S., we're a lot more on guard, I feel like, where sometimes I don't even know the names of my neighbors. I can be living next to someone for 10 years and I just don't know them. But elsewhere, especially when you're in these more open communities, it feels just a lot more approachable, a lot more ease in terms of just energetically. Yeah. Can I give you an illustration of my point? Please. When I was on that journey traveling the world, I decided to do the craziest thing in my life. I drove an auto rickshaw. It's like a tuk-tuk, it's also called. From Uh the top of India to the bottom of India, 4,000 kilometers. And it was the craziest thing because the driving in India is next level. It's like a video game, but in real life. And these rickshaws aren't built for highways. They're built for city driving. So the thing broke down on me 20 times. But here's the beauty of it. Every single time it broke down without fail, somebody was there to help me with the two Uh minutes. And it didn't matter where I was. It could be a remote village. It could be a city. One or usually a few people come up and they treated me like you were a family. They just wanted to help you. Most of the time, I mean, every time I offered the money for help, and most of the time they wouldn't even accept a penny from me, even if they spent an hour on the engine. It was just so mind-blowing because I feel like, if I'm being honest, most of the, most places I lived in the U.S., if that happened, people wouldn't stop over. Maybe, oh, yeah. maybe in a smaller town. But most people would be a little afraid. They'd be like, is this, is this a scam or con? Exactly. What if that person, I'm too busy? It could be headaches. So I, I love that about India, you know, and about certain cultures where... It truly is as if we're all one. Yeah, I love that because, yes, to your point of if I'm on the side of the road and I need help, I kind of, it's almost like I don't want anyone else to help because I don't know <laughs> Yeah, if they're absolutely going to help. Yeah, exactly. The fear, the fear goes both ways, you know? Exactly. If you could give the listeners one tip for someone who just wants to feel more aligned in their lives, maybe doesn't have to look like traveling the world in the way that your path has been laid out for you. But if someone just wants to feel more aligned, more fulfilled, do you have a tip or just a certain mindset or way of going about it that you'd like to leave for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. There's many tips, but if I had to pick one, 
I think probably the, the biggest life lesson I've ever had is to surround yourself with the people who inspire you. And if that's not possible in your situation, like let's say you have a very strict routine with this job and this community. Well, first of all, I challenge you to question your assumptions on that. I think that there are ways to meet new people who may be more aligned with where you want to take your life. But let's say that's not even the case. There's so much, many resources now online. There are communities online. There are, like I just led a men's circle a couple hours ago online. There's all these courses and amazing books and videos and documentaries and TED Talks. And I would just say, like what, what I did at the time where I was on the fence of leaving my own life, I decided to project manage this transition, this transformation. And I basically did less of the things that trained my energy and did more of the things that gave me energy. Less time with the people who weren't aligned with me that were more for the past and more time dedicated towards the people that are living my future life. That's so important because I think that a lot of times, and even for me too, I used to grow up thinking if we were friends at a certain point in my life, then that means we have to be friends forever. But though those people always have a special place in my heart, sometimes you do outgrow the needs of what that circle can give you. And so sometimes you do really have to go outside of your comfort zone to really meet people who are living a life that's more aligned or living a life that you aspire to have. So it's really inspiring to be in different circles. So that's great advice. So where can people find you, learn more about you? And is there anything else that we haven't covered around all of the different initiatives that you have that you would like to shed light on? Yeah, thanks for the question. I mean, I, I love it when people reach out to me, if they hear something on a podcast or see an article or something. You can find me online. My Instagram is Tarek.world. And on LinkedIn, you can check out Nomads Giving Back at Nomad Skillshare. You can find us pretty easily on social media or our websites. You're welcome to join our community. If you're looking to volunteer, we can match with a cause you're passionate about. And yeah, and I love to help people any way I can. So if anyone's interested in connecting with me, please do. Thank you so much for the time. And I'm personally really inspired by the path that you've taken in life. And I can't wait to see what else is in store for you. And good luck on your next marathon. I want to thank you too. I mean, your podcast is amazing. I listened to a few episodes and I love exactly what your intention behind it is. Helping people make those transitions and go after their dreams. That's what life's all about. So thank you for inspiring us. 